Good morning again. Ah, man. I've got all these notes, and I don't even know if I'm going to use them. <laughs> okay. You know, just while we were worshiping, I was really just thinking about this, you know, like, we're there, we're just, we're asking to uh, to see God's glory, you know. And that's a, I mean, that's a good thing, right? I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But I just, I, I found myself just thinking about, like, that, that cry. And, uh, and I remember James and, and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, right? Um, with their, their moms, like, hey, Jesus, like, can these guys be on your left and right when you're, like, in your kingdom, right? Another way of maybe thinking about, about that is when you're in your glory, right? Like, and Jesus is like, can you drink, can you drink from my cup? And they said, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, well, you will, actually, but uh, that's still not up to me. That's what, that's what he says. But, but the thing is, is that, like, there's, like, this, uh, this desire for the glory of God to participate in it, but also to, to witness it, I would say. And, and Jesus immediately brings it down. And he's like, can you suffer? <laughs> and then I'm like, we've got James, John, and Peter. They see the glory of, of God in, in the way that I think we're, we often think about, like when we're singing songs like that, the transfiguration. Right, they're, they're up on the mountain and, and Jesus gets all like really shiny, <laughs> right? Um, and then the, you know there's a voice of God speaks and, and then there's Elijah and Moses. It's really cool. It's the glory. They see it. And then you know a little while later, they, they all take off running <laughs> when, when things get tough. And there's one guy in all this who seems to get it. And that's the guy hanging on the cross next to Jesus. When Jesus is on the cross, there's, there's one guy who's like, this is, like, this guy's the king. In the moment of suffering, and the suffering that Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is coming, that telling them that this is actually what it means to follow me. It's not, it's not this super cool, exciting, glory-filled experience. When that comes, they all are, you know, running away. Or some people are there, like, watching him and, like, being super sad about it, which, I mean, fair enough. But there's one guy who recognizes it's this is still it like this is this this guy who's dying and bleeding on a cross is the king this is glory and he's a criminal the the one guy who recognizes it is a sinner and a criminal who's dying next to Jesus who probably deserves to be there 
And that's the guy Jesus is like, man, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And I don't, and this is not, sorry, this isn't any of what I've prepared today, but I just, as we're singing that, you know, wanting to see the glory. And I do think that's a good thing. I do think that's a good thing to want and a good thing to sing, but I just, I want us to remember Jesus' kind of typical response to people who are seeking to see that. He's like, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is we've seen it in a sense, or Jesus showed up and showed it, and people still missed it, right? Him walking the earth, hanging out with sinners, with drunks, with prostitutes, tax collectors, and him hanging on a cross. That was him in glory. And the people who wanted to see it didn't get it. So, I just, uh, I encourage you to keep your definition of glory broad and, um, yeah, let's. I want us to not be people who miss um, who miss Jesus. You know the Pharisees, right? We we've often talked about the Pharisees. They're often the bad guys in the in the discourse um, of Jesus' teaching. These were like these were the these were the religious people. They were the righteous people, right? I mean, so if the average the average Jewish person um, is kind of religious by de- by default, right? Maybe they go to synagogue frequently. I don't know. Babka probably actually knows more about this than, than me. But, like, they would be, like, if that's, like, the average Jewish person, they're maybe the person in the pew on Sunday kind of thing. Um, they just kind of maybe are showing up, and they may or may not have a really significant personal religious life. But the Pharisees, I mean, come on, they're the, they're the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the Bible college students. They're the keeners, you know? Like, they're the ones who are, like, they're really into it. They're going to make this their life. Their whole life is going to be about this. That's the, that's the people we want to try to be. Like, you know, that's, that's the kind of attitude that we, when we talk about, you know, being, like, serious Christians... That's the thing. And so the Pharisees, in their context, they're the serious ones. And they're looking for the, for the kingdom coming. They're looking for the Messiah. And again, they missed it. Because this guy shows up and he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And then he bleeds to death. Suffocates, actually. After a lot of I don't know that if Jesus showed up in in glory the way that he often chooses to define it, I don't know if we'd notice. Because we're looking for power, we're looking for victory, victory in a very particular kind of way that we, you know, tend to tend to think about that. And we're looking for righteousness in a very particular way that we tend to think about. We're looking for a Jesus who's going to show up to church on Sunday. He's probably going to be relatively well-dressed, well-groomed, you know, 
pretty put together. It's probably going to hang out with the right people, you know. Like, I think that's the Jesus we are often looking for. But, like, he might be at Weber in Victoria at the homeless encampment. Or, I don't know, he might be in a crack house. Like, I just, I don't know. Um, but, but that, I guess, you know, I just, the Pharisees, right, aren't actually bad guys. They're, they're like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like, good going on in what, in what they're doing. They're, they are people who are devoted to God. And they, can, they, they still really screw up. And I just, I want us, I want you to think about yourself in the Pharisee kind of situation. Like, I, wa- I, want, I want you to think about the Pharisees in a way where they are, they're, they're in a way that makes you realize that they're better than maybe you've often thought in the way that you've been, been reading the Bible. And then in a way that makes you realize that you're actually a little worse than maybe you thought and kind of meet in the middle with the Pharisee situation there because yeah these this is like this is the people that are really doing faith and they miss Jesus. These are the people who know what glory looks like. They know what righteousness looks like. Um there's uh you know Jesus talks about the these two people who go into the temple to pray, right? You guys know this story? And I think the one is a Pharisee. He goes in um there's, a, there's this Pharisee and there's this kind of more sinner guy and and the Pharisee goes in and he is just like thanking God that he's not like that guy. <laughs> not like the sinner guy. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like that guy. And then the sinner guy, right, he comes in and he's just like, he's, what, I think it says he's beating his chest or something and he's like, I am a sinner, Lord, have mercy on me. And he's just like, he's weeping and it's just, He's just really genuine about how messed up he is. And, and Jesus says, that's the guy who went away justified that day. And I really think that the Pharisee, I think he knows a bit about what sin is. You know? He knows about sin enough to be glad that he's not that other guy. He knows about sin enough to be glad that he doesn't need to cry out for mercy in the way that that guy does. Because he hasn't done all the things that that guy's done. I'm not a sinner like him. Thank God. I don't have a I don't have a drug addiction. Thank God. I have never gone to a prostitute. Thank God. Thank you, Lord, that you've spared me from these things. Can you hear yourself saying that? Pharisee didn't go home justified. So the Pharisee knows enough about sin to know that he's glad he's not that guy. And maybe even, maybe the Pharisee knows that he has had a sinful life at some point. But he's now, he's on the Pharisee path, which is way better. It's a path of righteousness. There's like, there's rules, there's guidelines, there's some structure there. He knows how to follow this. And now he's doing good, you know? Thank God! But it's in that position that he forgets that he's still a sinner. And I really think we can do that. 
Because we, we, we have the teaching, right, that it's, that it's not by our effort, but it's by God's grace, right? We know that we are sinners saved by grace, that because Jesus came and died and bled for our sins, we don't have to. We know all that, and we've been taught that whole thing. But what about afterwards? Now that we've accepted Jesus and we're free from that stuff, and we've actually gotten some of our life together, do we kind of settle into this new kind of righteousness, this new kind of religiosity that says, this is how this is how you live faithfully, and I've been doing that now. So thank God, thank God I'm not those other people. Do we kind of forget that we need to keep beating our breast and crying out for that mercy? That's a beautiful little child. <laughs> I just, I know that just, it just really, I really think, I really, really, really think that we can be those Pharisees. Because they're actually pretty smart. The Pharisees. And so are we. And that's probably why we're all so dumb. Because <laughs> we really think we know. We've got the knowledge of good and evil, right? We can figure it out now. So, on that note, let's consult the notes. <laughs> Just know, we can, we, can, we can bring this in. This is good. Um... Yeah, again, this all of this is just, I didn't know I was going to say any of these things. But but what I was planning on talking about today, and this connect, is that we're in, in the last couple of years especially, I mean, this has been true for like a long, long time, but in the last couple of years especially, right, we've seen a lot of division. Religiously, politically, I don't know, maybe people who don't think of themselves as religious or political, they're still probably dividing on stuff. Like, there's just so many controversial issues people are really, really divided. And it's not typically, right? I don't think it's just division of opinion. There's like, there's a little bit of aggression in that, right? There's a lot of judgment. There's like really wishing people would just change their minds. Why can't people open their eyes and see it my way? Right? Pick your favorite issue, right? It could be vaccines. It could be COVID. Is it real? Is it not real? How much of a threat is it? It could be um, alternative sexualities. It could be abortion. It could be whatever. And all of these things are messy. And even if there's a clear right answer, on the ground, that right answer is still messy. Interacting with people who have the wrong answer is still messy. But whether or not we even have the right answer a lot of the time, like, I think we often don't because we often have a really clean answer. <laughs> but it's a messy situation. So our answer probably doesn't even apply. It's probably more nuanced than that. But we're still divided. And we're still so confident in our thing. We've got it figured out. And so what do we do? We judge people, we argue, we fight about it. And honestly, that it really troubles me. This is, I'm really concerned with the world. And I mean, there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world right now. But that thing is the thing that troubles me the most. The way that the church is angry with each other. The way that the church has gotten increasingly bad, bad again, I don't know, at, at working out its differences. 
I mean, that's, again, we, if you've seen, uh, if you're aware of something called the Reformation, you know that we've never really been great at it. Um, but, but I'm seeing that, and it's really, it's really, really troubling me. And so, yeah, again, there's this Pharisee thing that is, really ties into this, but then also I would say that one of the big problems in this deeply opinionated failure to connect with each other thing is that no one in that equation gets any closer to the truth. Everyone's just entrenched in their own thing. So no one hears anybody else. No one becomes more nuanced. No one, whatever. If, if, if someone is just straight up wrong, they'll never become right because it just everybody just digs deeper into their own position. Nobody grows any larger in love because we're just angry at the other people. <clears throat> and no one gets any closer to Jesus. We're better at being a disciple of Jesus because we don't really care about Jesus. We care about our idea. We care about the thing that we think is right in these moments, in these debates, whatever they are. And actually, I would say the, in the worst cases, we kind of stop worshiping Jesus. And we start worshiping ourselves or our opinions or our ideologies. We start worshiping our camp on whatever the divided issue is. And then we blasphemously try to employ Jesus in the service of our object of worship. Jesus is on my side. We forge idols and we try to bow Jesus before them. What if we started at Jesus? How would that look differently? Well, let me tell you a little bit about how it might look differently. There's two passages. And by the way, in the future, I might just keep coming back to these two passages. I'm not making any promises that I won't. <laughs> um, because I think these are the things we have to drive really, really deep into our souls. Because, yeah, this is, this is where it's at. These two passages that we're about to take a look at, I really encourage you to internalize them until you can't help being troubled. And then I want you to be troubled by them until you can't help but do something about it. So I want to go to Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And I thought I brought my Bible with me and I didn't, but fortunately I have the internet right at my fingertips. Magical. Uh, but someone else can read uh, can read that Matthew five, forty three to forty eight. It's a passage we're probably pretty familiar with, but not familiar enough with. Somebody. Say, bless your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his, his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rains on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even that the, the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, 
what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So who here um, feels like they've got a handle on that um, that kind of verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I'm going to guess that we've actually got a handle on verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I mean, I like you guys. I think you're all pretty great people on the whole. But I mean, come on, isn't this how we do it? We know who thinks like us, and we know who doesn't. We divide it up. We gossip, we bicker. I'm bad at this, by the way. And here's the, the fun thing about this, uh, just real briefly, because I actually don't want to stay here too long, but again, another day I will. But <laughs> the people Jesus is saying this to have real enemies. He's talking to people who are living under Roman occupation. They're fugitives in their own land. They're forced into poverty. They, they, they are literally just trying to figure out how to get enough food to survive day by day. And it's because of the Romans. They've got no rights. They don't even get to be citizens. And they're living in their traditional land. The threat of crucifixion is a real thing for them. They step out of line. They don't just have people who have different opinions. You know, there's been a little bit about like people questioning about you know how much people's rights have been infringed upon in the last couple of years, and I'm not saying that's illegitimate. It's that that's not a worthy conversation. But like compared to these people, you got nothing. You know, like you, you don't know about persecution. And so those are the people. <laughs> that Jesus says, you know, love your enemies. Wow, okay, sure. No problem. And that is how you're going to be a child of God. Because that's what he does. Right? There's a, Jesus does this thing where he points out to people that if you're someone's child, you would do like what they do. Right? There's another part where uh, the Pharisees are saying that they're children of Abraham, and he's like, no, you're not. You're children of Satan. Because that's who you act like. So this right here, he's saying, act like God. Let's be perfect. Let's be complete. Let's be mature and love our enemies. Love people. And this is agape, right? So this is this unconditional love thing. This is C.S. Lewis talks about this. Um, he talks about agape as the love that God loves just because he's God. It has nothing to do with the loved person. <laughs> it's like, this is not the love that God loves us with because we have intrinsic value. It's the love that God loves us with because he's God. And so that's the love that we're being told to imitate here to our enemies. It's not, we don't, it doesn't matter if they're ever sorry. It's not because they're made in God's image, which is true. You know, it's just because. It's just because. But they're going to crucify me. Yeah, well got to do it just because. Jump a couple more chapters now. Matthew 7. This is the other verse that I want you to really get 
in your psyche. Uh, Matthew 7, 1 to 4. Do you have a volunteer to read that? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Oh, sorry, actually, let's go a little further. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Perfect. Yeah. Anybody, anybody not heard this before? Love this one. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I, I won't pick on you very much because you never heard this before. Isn't this kind of fun? Would you would you think that this is the kind of thing that Christians are hearing um, frequently, paying attention to, putting into practice in their lives? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Behold, all the people who have heard this before. Yeah. Behold. I've heard this before. Behold, the word you hypocrite is for me. <laughs> right? Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. The judgment you're putting out will come back. And of course it will. Because you're the Pharisee in the temple saying, thank God I'm not like that guy. And you've forgotten about everything that's wrong with you, still. You can live in the grace and the love of God. Of course you can. That agape love that has nothing to do with how good you are at all. Live in that. And remember, there's still a lot wrong with you. So don't be judging. Right? Like, you've got so much to judge. Like, And so... I love this. The speck in your brother's eye. Don't try to pick that out, right? That's going to be a mess. I mean, that's going to be a mess at the best of times. I don't know if you've ever tried to take something out of somebody's eye. Like, they got an eyelash. Have you ever done that? You're like, hold on, you've got an eyelash. Like, and it's like, can't you just give me a mirror? I'll get it myself. It's like, no, 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 I can get it. Like, <laughs> like it's... And then, like, if you're the person with the eyelash, you're like, holy crap, we're going to lose an eye today. Yeah. Like, when's the last time this person's clipped their nails? Like, anyway, like, it's, you know, so at the best of times, it's hard. But what if there's a log in that person's eye? What if there's a log in your eye while you're trying to remove that eyelash? You can't see a thing. Like, what a total mess. And I'm willing to guess we've all got a log or two. And some of us might have a whole stack. Yeah. So here's the thing. You hypocrite. right? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and get this. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I would suggest it's actually not a bad thing to want to remove the speck in somebody else's eye. Because it sucks having a speck, right? You think of the eyelash, like it just, it hurts. It's really annoying. It's not great. We want to make the world a better place. 
You know, the, the, when we have these divisions and we're all tense and we're like, oh, I just wish these people could see like me. That comes from a place of thinking that I am correct and I want the world to be correct too. That's a good thing. Of course you want the world to be correct. If you really think you're right, why would you not want everyone to be right? Do you want everyone to be wrong? That's dumb. <laughs> So that comes from a good place, but it's misguided because you're probably not right. You're maybe partially right. Or maybe you're, you're very right, but you seriously lack the capacity to help someone else be right right now. Because you're wrong in a lot of other ways. And by the way, you're not a perfectly compartmentalized human being. Every area of your life affects all the rest. So if you're right about something, and you're wrong about a lot of other things, that's going to affect the whole process. It's going to affect your interpersonal abilities. It's going to affect your righteousness. It's going to affect your humility. It's going to affect all this stuff. But if you take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. Then you're going to be maybe a little more useful. And I don't think we have clarity. Think again about all these divisive issues, all the things you're really passionate about. Maybe you're on one, of, one side of the fence on anything. <laughs> and think about how messy it is in practice. And say, hmm, I wonder if I see clearly. I wonder if I, if I did see clearly, maybe I could do something a bit about this. So how do I see clearly? Well, I take a look at my life. I assess my junk. I ask God to help me assess my junk. And the thing about this is that the log is actually really obvious. You'll see it if you choose to. You have enough junk in your life to be aware if you choose to. And so if you change, if you change, right? If we stop pointing the finger at everybody else and we point the finger back at ourselves, with the grace of God, with the help of God in this, and the help of our brothers and sisters, right? We can bring people in to help us out with this. It is a log, after all. It's not, you know, it's not a speck that you're asking someone to get your eyelash. It's, can you help me with this giant honking thing, right? Like, we can bring people in this. Then we'll change. We, as individuals, will change. And when we change, our perspective will change. We will get more clarity we're going to actually feel differently about the issues. The issues that we're passionate about right now, the issues that we are so confident we have the right answer, we will feel differently after we change. I don't know how we'll feel differently. You know, maybe we'll find out, now that we can see clearly, that, uh, i got to stop kicking this tea, but... Uh, okay. Maybe we'll find out after we see clearly that actually... The speck, <laughs> the speck in that person's eye, it actually wasn't even there. I was seeing things. <laughs> right? Like, I had a log. It was like, you know. Or maybe we'll realize, now that we can see clearly, oh, you know, it's like, they'll, they'll just blink it out. They'll blink that thing out. Give them a few hours, a couple of years. They'll blink it out. I don't need to get involved. Or maybe 
we'll see that it actually was a real speck. But we'll have the gentleness, the humility, the grace to come into that situation in a godly way. I don't know what it'll look like. And, I, and I'm not talking about specific issues because I don't know. I don't have the clarity to tell you what's right and wrong on a lot of these things. But I do know that Jesus says point the finger back at yourself. And do that for a while before you try to get involved. And this might be a bit of a back and forth process. okay? Because again, we don't want to get to that point where now we're the Pharisee again. And we say, yes, I dealt with everything. Thank God I'm not like that guy. <laughs> as soon as you say, thank God I'm not like that guy, you're that guy. <laughs> so we have to keep coming back to this. I don't know, it's like raining logs or something, but they keep falling in our eyes. So, you know, so we keep, we have to keep cycling back to this. But I do think there is a place for helping people out once we have clarity. But I think we need to prioritize clarity because we don't have it. Because we're still sinners. Have mercy on me, Lord. So that was page one of six. And uh, I think that's where we'll stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's seek the glory. But like it's messy. And it's with sinners. And it's with recognizing that we are those sinners. That's the glory that Jesus is bothering to hang out with us. And let's, uh, and let's see clarity. And this is something, so hopefully, I mean, again, I don't know. I'm just still new at this and I'm figuring out what's, what I'm going to do. Okay, but, but it's my intention, at least at this point, to, um, in future sermons, you know, to maybe pick some things that are us issues. I want to point the finger at us. I don't want to point the finger at you guys because then that's a wildly hypocritical situation. <laughs> but there is an us here, and so I think I can point the finger at us. And uh, I struggle with basically everything, so um, <laughs> so I can always point it at me in the midst of us. So I want to be looking at things that are you know that either I struggle with or I've recently struggled with things that we're likely to struggle with, things that the North American Church at large probably struggles with. And I want to point the finger at us. I don't want to be super condemning about this. You know, there is still hope and, and goodness and, and, and grace and all of that. And I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I want to be challenging. Because if we're not challenged, then we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're not really being disciples of Jesus. And if we're not being disciples of Jesus, I don't know what the hell we're doing. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do moving forward. Um, maybe not every week, you know, but, but there's going to be some of that. And I'm hoping you'll come on that journey with me. And hopefully we'll... Get some clarity. So uh, let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your glory in humbling yourself. Thank you for your glory in getting messy in suffering. And God, thank you for challenging us. Lord, I just ask you to help us to do that. Help us to accept the challenge. Help us to, to rest in your goodness 
and depend on you. But Lord, to not let that lull us into complacency. Help us to be full participants in what you have for us. And Lord, have mercy on us. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.